As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that breathes new life into everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the extreme measures taken to preserve the secrecy and profitability of Venetian glass. The day was November 8th, 1291. The Venetian Republic ordered all local glassmakers to relocate to the nearby island of Murano. Although this trade-based form of exile was mandatory, it wasn't intended as a punishment. The government said the action was to avoid the risk of furnace fires in a city composed of mostly wooden structures. However, Many historians believe the true motivation behind the move was to protect the valuable trade secrets of Venice's most lucrative industry. The roots of glassmaking in Venice can be traced back to the Roman Empire, where glass was produced at least as early as the first century. Roman glass was primarily molded rather than blown, and as a result was incredibly time-consuming and expensive to produce. Production methods gradually improved, but glass remained a strictly high-status material, used primarily for drinking vessels and to help illuminate bathhouses. By the late 14th century, many citizens of the Roman Empire were under constant siege by the marauding forces of the Huns. To escape the conflict, some Romans began moving off the east coast of Italy to the islands of the Venetian Lagoon. 
The city they founded there later became the Republic of Venice, and former Roman glassmakers were among its earliest settlers. As time went on, they were joined by immigrants from the Byzantine Empire, who added their own Eastern knowledge of glass arts to the mix. By the 8th century, the blending of those different techniques and skill sets had turned Venice into the most prominent glass manufacturer in the world. Glass arts flourished in Venice for a number of reasons, but key to its success was the island's convenient location at the crossroads of trade between East and West. That position made it the go-to source for quality glass for countries in both Europe and Asia. Business was so good that by the late 1200s, glassmaking had become the city's primary industry. Its importance to the region led to the establishment of the Glassmakers Guild, which set up rules and regulations for all the craftsmen to follow. Chief among those guidelines was the need for secrecy. After all, if glassmaking was to remain the most profitable industry in Venice, then the secrets to its success had to be safeguarded. But the guild wasn't the only one to recognize the need for discretion. In 1271, the Venetian government acted to protect the glass industry by blocking the importation of foreign glass and the employment of foreign glass workers. This was done to prevent Venetian glassmakers from forming ties with competitors and potentially leaking their secrets. However, the Republic didn't stop there. The more successful the glass trade became, the harder authorities tried to sequester it. On November 8, 1291, those efforts culminated in the passage of a new, even more restrictive law. At the time, the glass industry was concentrated in the center of Venice, with numerous glass workshops crowded together on just a handful of streets. Authorities pointed to the danger of having so many furnaces concentrated in the heart of an overpopulated and highly flammable city, so they passed a new law, ostensibly to solve that problem. The decree ordered all the furnaces used for glassmaking to be moved from Venice to the adjacent island of Murano, and of course, all the glass workers and their families would have to go with them. While the threat of wide-scale fires did exist in Venice, many believe the real reason glassmakers were pushed to Murano was to further isolate them, making them more reliant on the government and less likely to interact with foreigners. That theory would be seemingly confirmed just four years later, when a subsequent law prohibited glassmakers from traveling beyond Venice without first obtaining express permission. Those who left without permission would be expelled from the guild and barred from returning to Murano. It's worth noting that Murano is actually a cluster of seven small islands linked by bridges, and at the time, none of those bridges connected to Venice. So even though Murano is only about a mile off the city's coast, its residents were largely cut off from the rest of society, and anyone caught sharing the secrets of glass production with outsiders was liable to be put to death. Despite those harsh restrictions, the glassmakers on Murano were hardly prisoners. In fact, they actually enjoyed several social privileges that other craftspeople lacked. For instance, the daughters of glassmakers were allowed to marry members of the Venetian nobility, providing a rare chance to elevate their status. And unlike other citizens, glassmakers were permitted to carry swords in public, and were granted immunity from the prosecution of minor crimes. Those incentives were a clever play by the Venetian government. 
Not only did the perks soften the blow of the forced relocation, they also helped ensure that glassmakers would encourage their children to carry on the family business. Because if it's a choice between one craft guild or another, you might as well join the one that lets you carry a sword. Murano was already home to a few glass furnaces when the law was passed, but the island's economy had been driven mostly by fishing and salt mining up to that point. However, that changed quickly once the Venetian glass workers arrived. Soon, Murano established itself as the leading glass manufacturer of the Middle Ages, a position it would hold for the next several centuries. In that sense, the efforts of the Venetian government were hugely successful, even in ways they hadn't expected. For example, concentrating all the region's glassmasters in one small area led to an amazing interchange of ideas and abilities. The result was a series of innovations that further refined the processes of glass production and pushed it to new heights as an art form. One of the biggest breakthroughs came from glassmaster Angelo Barovier. In the 15th century, he discovered how to make the world's first cristallo, or clear glass. That development allowed Murano to become the sole supplier of mirrors in Europe. Murano glassmakers are also credited with a host of other advances, including the production of enameled glass, gold-threaded glass, multicolored glass, and milk glass, which mimicked the look of Chinese white porcelain. Murano also supplemented the income from its fine art sales by producing large amounts of glass trade beads. These smooth, brightly colored bits of glass were widely used by European explorers to barter for gold, gems, and even enslaved people. Breakthrough techniques and new streams of revenue made Murano the top producer of both commercial and luxury glass products in Europe throughout the 15th and 16th centuries. That period turned out to be the peak of Murano glass production. Beginning in the 17th century, the island's glass began to gradually decline in popularity. That was partly due to growing conflict in Europe, which eventually resulted in Napoleon's conquest of Venice and the abolishment of craft guilds, including that of the glassmakers. However, military occupation was only part of the problem. Despite the best efforts of the guild and the Venetian government, Murano's glassmaking secrets did in fact get off the island, chipping away at the region's monopoly and making fine glass more accessible than ever before. Today, there are only about a thousand glassmakers left on Murano, representing about a fifth of the island's full-time population. That's a far cry from the industry's heyday, but the reputation of Murano glass is still as sterling as ever. From intricate, blown glass jewelry to extravagant chandeliers, Murano glass is still one of the most highly prized luxury goods in the world. So not much has changed in that regard, and the same is true for the process behind the glass's creation. The tools and techniques used on Murano haven't changed much in all this time. Every piece, no matter how ornate, still begins as a clump of molten sand on the end of a blowpipe. From there, the glassmaker expertly twirls and smooths that shapeless mass, blows into it to give it form, and then exposes it to flame to seal its shape. The result of that age-old process is something useful, or beautiful, or both. The culmination of a talent and tradition that's been sheltered and revered since the Middle Ages. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today 
than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.